I I want you this morning, if you will, turn with me as we begin. Turn with me to the book of James. Now, if you'll notice on the back of your bulletin, we're actually talking about a man named Elijah today, who's a man in the Old Testament. We're going to begin this morning, though, in the New Testament. And if you've got your Bible handy, like I said, turn to the book of James. James over toward the end of the New Testament. It's a small letter, about five chapters. Right before you get to First and Second Peter, First and Second, Third John, and, and Jude and Revelation. So if you get to Hebrews, keep turning to the right. We are in a series that we'll pause next week, of course, and focus obviously on on Easter. But we're in a series uh, on eleven great lives from Scripture. Now, someone joked with me about the fuzzy math that we do here at, at Elm Grove, that apparently, even though we are doing 11 great lives, this is number 16 of, of that series on, on 11 people. And so anyway, but this is only the seventh life, so we're in the 16th message, seventh life, you figure it out. Again, I'm a Cardinal fan, it's tough for me, so you guys help me out, all right? <clears throat> but but we're, we're looking at our seventh of those 11 today, a man named Elijah, who's an Old Testament prophet that you may or may not know a whole lot about, but he's mentioned over here in the New Testament in James chapter 5. And if you look with me in James chapter 5, uh, at the, the last part of verse 16, James here is writing and he's talking about prayer that is effective, prayer that works. We looked at this last summer. Uh, if you were with us during that time, you know we did a whole series on the book of James and we got to this toward the end. And James says at the end of verse 16, the intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. There is great impact and influence that happens when the righteous people of God pray. When they pray according to God's will, there there is power in that. Not because of us, certainly, but because of God who has that power. But there is something powerful when the righteous pray. So James highlights that, and then he gives an example. And he points to the guy that we'll look at today. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So before you mistake Elijah for something spectacular or superhuman... James sets it straight from the very beginning. He's normal. He's just like us. If he came to church here this morning, you probably wouldn't recognize him. He's just another normal-looking person. He was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Seemingly, we can't go three hours and six minutes recently without it raining on the land. But for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. James here is describing Elijah as this man of righteousness, this man of great power in prayer. He is a man of great impact and great influence. And as we think about the life of Elijah, I think we have to encase it in that overarching theme. This was a man of tremendous impact, of tremendous influence. So much so that when he prayed, it stopped raining. And not just so that you could get the equipment out of the field. It stopped raining for three and a half years. And then when he prayed, it rained not enough just to kind of maybe get the grass wet a little bit, but enough to where the ground now could produce the fruit that it had always produced. And so I want to give you, as we begin this morning, a a principle that will sort of guide us based upon the life of Elijah, a guiding principle for us to think about this morning as we work through this particular study on Elijah. And here it is. As a believer, 
as a believer, I am called to a life of impact and influence. As a believer, I am called to a life of impact and influence. Elijah was a firm believer in God, in Yahweh, Jehovah God, the one and only, the creator God of the Old Testament, the one who is sovereign and in control. That's who he was a believer in. And we today, as believers in that same God, believers in Jesus Christ, we are also, just as Elijah gave example here in the book of James, we are also called to a life of impact and influence. Now, I often wonder what many people think that means. I challenge, uh, I challenge often when I was a youth pastor, I challenged the students that I led to be a person, to be a young person of, of impact, a young person of influence, to, to be instead of the thermometer that just reacts to whatever's going on, to be the thermostat that sets the temperature in the room. And yet I wonder sometimes what do we think that really means? Maybe we think a person of impact and influence is the person who gets to stand up on Sunday morning and preach to everyone. Well, if I could do that, then certainly I'd be a person of impact because they'd have to listen. And you're listening, correct? Okay, all right. <clears throat> Play along. I'd be a person of influence because people would respect me. Goodness, they'd have to listen to me and they'd do what I'd tell them to do. And I don't mean to burst your bubble, but you know that's not always the case. So, um, Or maybe if, if you could... If you could just work in that particular location, well, if I just had that job, if I could just get that degree, then that would set me up for a life of impact and influence. If I just had a little more money, then I could give a little bit more toward this, and there would be my impact and my influence. I mean, if, 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 and if, and you see all of that, and I wonder if people truly believe that every single person who is a believer in Jesus Christ can both answer and fulfill that call to a life of impact and influence. I think, unfortunately, we, we believe that life with Jesus maybe has to be something that's glamorous or way out front all the time, or, or maybe it's going to be a life with no problems, and, and because of that, we'll have our impact and influence. But as we'll see this morning in the scripture that we'll look at, in the life of Elijah, he gets a reality check on what impact and influence is going to bring in his life. Certainly, he was that man. That God used in great ways. And yet he had a reality check. I, I had my own when I was a freshman in high school. Now, I, I relate things often to the things that I know, so you won't hear me talk about fixing cars uh, and building things, because you would probably laugh at me at my uh, less than novice uh, knowledge of all of that stuff. So I'm going to talk briefly about an example about baseball, which is the only thing I know about, but follow along. When I was a freshman in high school, uh, I, I, I entered high school at a very successful baseball program and, and, and immediately began to be on the varsity team. I thought I was something special. And I had dominated Little League. You know, I, I was, you know, I just, Little League had just gotten old for me, you know, that kind of, you know. And, and so here I go to high school and I play my freshman year and I played on the freshman and JV and varsity teams and man, I thought I was something. Well, then in my sophomore year, I get the opportunity finally to start for the varsity team. Start at shortstop. And I thought, my goodness, you know, I mean, God has just dropped it in my lap, and here I am, and it's going to be rosy, and I'm never going to strike out. My first 11 at-bats, I had one hit and six strikeouts. Now, you talk about a reality check for a guy who had dominated for the last three or four years, and, and nobody could strike me out in Little League, right-handed or left-handed. You know, I could hit them all. And, 
And I get to high school, and I looked like a fool. I mean, just striking. I mean, just, I, I couldn't hit anything. I couldn't hit water if I'd fallen out of a boat in the middle of the ocean. You know, I just, there's no way I couldn't do it. And so, you know, so I finally got to the point. My reality check came, and I realized, you know what, this is a different level of baseball. This isn't Little League anymore. This isn't where they just try to throw it across the plate. No, they're trying to get you out now. They're not just hoping you'll swing and miss. They're believing you're going to swing and miss because of what they're throwing up toward the plate at you. And what it did was instead of making me quit the game of baseball, it made me more coachable. It made me listen to my coach who said, all right, come on, you've failed now. Do you, do you want me to teach you how to do this? And I said, yes, please teach me how to do this. And so that, that's the person that I became. Now, I had one of two options at that point. I could have quit. One for 11, six strikeouts. Nobody likes to do that. And yet I, I realized that in that moment, I just simply needed to become humble. Realize I'm not playing Little League ball anymore. I didn't need to quit. just needed to learn how to play at a new level. And I think that as we look at the life of Elijah, we'll see his reality check and we'll face our own today as well. Because certainly we are called to live a life of impact and influence. We want to have success and we want to be impactful, as silly as that example is, on the varsity level where it really matters in life. But we have to be aware that, that if we're going to be successful at that level, then we have to be coachable. We have to listen to what God has to say. Now I'll tell you this, if, you, if you're a person here this morning and you don't want to live a life of impact or influence, and you can stop listening right now. You can just tune out. You can get your phone out, and you can you know, send text messages or whatever it is you're going to do, and you can plan the rest of your day on the back of your bulletin and whatever. If you're content in life to merely just take up space and to not fulfill God's will for your life, then, then just quit paying attention right now. Here's your, here's your free pass for the rest of today. But if you are serious, as I believe many of you are, if not most, and hopefully all, if you are serious about seeing God work in and through you, I encourage you, stay with me. Engage your heart, engage your mind, become coachable by the Word of God today. The reality check that Elijah faced, um, we'll, we'll see as we'll work through it. And we go off the principle of, I am called to live a life of impact and, and influence. And unfortunately, it doesn't end there. I don't close in prayer this morning with saying, go live a life of impact and influence. Number one, that doesn't make any sense. Number two, it's not the full story. So let me give you the full story. If, if I am called to live a life of impact and influence, I will therefore face some, some things that I need to be ready for. One of those is that I must be willing to stand alone. I must be willing to stand alone. I want you to turn with me from James. You can leave your place there. And turn with me over to the book of 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 16, we'll look at, and we'll begin here, we'll look at a little bit of the background information about the story of Elijah and his willingness to stand alone. <clears throat> in 1 Kings chapter 16, look with me beginning in verse 29. 1 Kings 16, verse 29. The scripture here says, Ahab, son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Judah's king Asa. Ahab, son of Omri, 
reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight more than all who were before him. Don't miss that. Then, as if following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, were a trivial matter, he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbile, king of the Sidonians, and then proceeded to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings who were before him. He was the most evil king that Israel had ever seen. And if you look at the very next chapter, look who's called to stand before that king. Verse 1 of chapter 17. Now Elijah, the Tishbite, from the Gilead settlers, said to whom? To Ahab. Who is Ahab? The king who did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings before him. He says, as the Lord God of Israel lives, I stand before him, and there, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Now you say, well, he's a prophet. He has every right to go and do that. But here's a king who had no qualms about killing anyone in particular, or everyone who opposed him. Here's a king who was more evil than anyone that had ever reigned in Israel, and Elijah is called to go and stand before him. Now, if you understand the nation of Israel was pretty well uh, the same as its king was, then you can imagine that during this time, the nation of Israel was also the most evil that it had ever been uh, at, at that time. Elijah here stands alone. He stands alone in his holiness, one of the only people in Israel at the time who was not bowing to the foreign gods, to the false idols. He's unbending in his commitment to the Lord. He will do what God says to do. He's willing to stand alone, to be bold and courageous. He's not concerned what, uh, with saying what people wanted to hear. Isn't that such a trap? He was uninfluenced by the culture around him. Now, some of you are, are diehard fans, and, and I happen to be a diehard fan of, of a, maybe two or three different teams, most of those you're aware of. I, I love Murray State, so we'll all just agree from this point on that we're happy with one another. I also... I uh, happen to love the Cincinnati Reds, and so for, the, for half of you now, you, you're wondering. And then I'm also a, obviously a fan of the Louisville Cardinals, and, and that, that uh, just did it. And so, um, but, but I, have gone, I have gone to the UofL UK football game at Commonwealth Stadium, decked out in red and black, walking through the student tailgating section. If you can imagine what that scene is like. Facing all of the, the comments, which weren't always so polite, um, about what I had on and the team I was going to cheer for that day and so on. And I stood up in the stadium and would cheer when Louisville would score and so on in this sea of blue, 70,000 blue, and me and my friend, two little red dots, you know, right there. And, and then a couple of summers ago, I, I went to a, 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 a game in St. Louis to see the Cardinals play the Reds, and I was in red which made me fit in, except mine had a C on it, you know, and, and Cincinnati written across it. If you think of those things, how someone, and I'm sure you are the exact same way, if you're a fan of a team, you'd probably be willing to say, you know, I'd go into that visiting stadium wearing the visiting team colors and hold my head high. If you think about that, you have examples in your life where you are willing to stand alone, where you are willing to face a little bit of ridicule, 
you're willing to face somebody yelling at you a little bit, walking through that student tailgating section, wearing the jersey of the opposing team on their turf, and a similar concept applies here with Elijah. He, he was a guy who was wearing the opposing team's colors. And he goes into the court of the king who was the home team, so to speak, the one who's evil, the one who wants nothing to do with what Elijah is about, and he stands alone before him. The truth is, unfortunately for us, the same concept applies. And I say unfortunately only because I wish it were different. I wish I could stand and tell you that if you'll live a life for Jesus Christ, that you will never face anybody who doesn't get it. You'll never, you'll never have to stand alone. You'll always have support both outside and inside the church. And the truth is, that's just not the truth. <laughs> if you want to live a life of impact and influence, if I want to do that, you and I must be willing to stand alone in the world to stand alone in your school, to stand alone in your workplace, even sometimes, of course, to stand alone in your church, in your relationships, in your dating life, in your marriage, in your integrity, in every area of your life. If you want to be a person, a man or woman of impact and influence, and truly fulfill the call of God on your life, then you, you must be willing to stand alone. Elijah found that out very, very quickly. Called into ministry. Called to be a prophet of God. And the first person he has to go and face is the most evil king Israel had ever seen. Now listen, if I'm that, I know some of you are scared to death of teaching elementary Sunday school. But which would you pick? I'd pick the Sunday school. Don't send me before the evil king. At least these kids think I'm supposed to be in charge, you know, sometimes. <clears throat> but here he is, his first call. And he's called before that king. I must be willing to stand alone if I am to be a person of impact and influence. Not only that. Not only is standing alone obviously part of it, though it's unpopular and seemingly unnatural, we, we, because of that, we have a choice to make. And just like Elijah, I must choose to please God rather than people. I must choose to please God rather than people. In, in that verse we just read in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah goes before the king and he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives... And he says, I stand before him. Isn't it interesting the words that he uses there? Not, oh, great king, I bow before you. And if it's okay, I'm going to speak the words of God. You might remember him from a few years back. I'm, you know, he announces not only his own presence, but he says, as the Lord God lives. You know the God you've stopped serving? The God that you've replaced with these poles and idols that you're worshiping? He says, as the Lord God lives, I stand before I don't stand before you, king. I don't stand before you and the evil nation of Israel. I stand before God. Elijah came to the point where he said, I must choose to please God rather than to please people. There was nothing in him in his conversation that he has with the king telling him what's going to happen and forcefully, forcefully going before him and calling him onto the carpet, so to speak, about his sin. There's nothing in Elijah that is concerned with pleasing that king in that moment. It could have cost him his life in a heartbeat. And the king would have had no qualms about doing it. There was nothing in him that was concerned with pleasing a king and pleasing a people who had turned from worshiping God to worshiping idols and serving themselves. Now, the, the unfortunate truth is that we often choose the opposite as, as Christians. I've done that. You've done that. It's really easy to, to choose the opposite. We often cave to the pressures and the opinions of others. 
And as a result, we fail to live as faithful, committed believers in Jesus. I, I think in that, we, we fail to grasp how foolish it really is to try to please everybody else. In my research for this particular message, I came across an old sermon from the 1600s, a Puritan preacher who wrote and preached about the folly, the foolishness of trying to please other people. Now, I've paraphrased because his language was a little bit old uh, and probably wouldn't land as well. So I've paraphrased these. Listen to some of the reasons that he came up with. If you are trying to please a multitude, you may please some, but many more will still be unpleased despite your best efforts. You've been there? Remember that human nature is selfish. Therefore, the expectations of people are always higher than you'll be able to satisfy. Isn't that true? Most of the people you are trying to please are unwise and ignorant. They see your strengths as weaknesses and boldly criticize what they don't even understand. Isn't that true? My goodness. The foolishness of trying to please people is also because most people you encounter will never be pleased with you unless you join their side and conform to their opinions. They just want you on their side. The majority of the people in the world also hate holiness and will not be pleased with you unless you sin against God just like they do. Some of you that are in school have experienced that. Many people in the world simply hate God and only seek to drag others down with Him. Scores of people are trying to trap those who claim to follow Jesus and they'll do the same to you. Why should you not try to please people? Some people are blinded by emotion, which results in impaired judgment, making those people impossible to please. There are very few people who are competent judges of your actions. But there are many people who want to cast judgment on your actions. Many of those you are trying to please are also themselves trying to please others by gossiping about you. Isn't that true? Just as they did with Christ, people will praise you one moment and want to destroy you the next. What pleases one person might displease another. And that is an endless cycle. No matter how hard you try, some will always criticize you. Even after you are dead and gone. And nobody can say anything more about your current actions. People will, tw will twist the truth and defame you. Think about how many different biographies have been written about historical figures and they're all over the place. Godliness does not please the world because the world is ungodly. Most people are not even pleased with God. And do you think you can do more than God to please them? The majority of people cannot even please themselves. They are only temporarily pleased by even their own desires and choices. And then they move on to something else. And then finally, not even Jesus Christ could please everyone. The, the foolishness of trying to please other people. And let me tell you what. Before you think I am some person who stands above all of this, that is a huge, huge area of weakness in my life. Huge. I struggle with that. And so when I preach these words to you about I must choose to please God rather than please people, let me tell you, if there was a mirror here and I couldn't see anyone else in here, I would still preach this sermon because I need to hear it. This preacher goes on and says, Here are the advantages of pleasing God rather than pleasing men. If you seek only to, to please only God, then you only have one to please. And pleasing one is, is easier than pleasing many. God is not unreasonable, unlike many of the people who are never pleased. God is perfectly wise and never misunderstands your intentions or your actions. 
God is not biased or prejudiced. Therefore, he's an impartial judge. God is an all-wise judge. He knows everything about you. There's nothing about you he doesn't know, unlike the people who might criticize you. God's demands are not contradictory or outrageous. God never changes. Therefore, he is not like the one who is pleased with a certain thing one day and displeased with it the next. The same things please God over and over and over. You can count on it. God is righteous and just, but he is also gentle and loving at the same time. God is not blinded by emotion, nor does he become irrational in his thinking. And thankfully, God is not influenced by gossips and liars. (laughs) The folly of trying to please people, the advantages of pleasing God over pleasing people, I believe are some things that Elijah must have understood and are also great lessons for us today. Because if you are going to be a person of impact and influence, yes, you must be willing to stand alone. And in that, you and I must make a choice to please God rather than to please people. Now, that can be a really good pep talk for you. You can nod your head and you can say, that's exactly what I'm going to do leaving here. But let me tell you what you're going to face. The next one on your list, if you're looking at the back of your bulletin, you know what's coming. Some of you already tried to guess the fill in the blank. You're good. I know how it works. If you're going to choose to please God rather than please people, then you must also expect and endure hardship, testing, trials, and discouragement from the world. Expect it. It's coming. Trust God to help you endure it. Because in some cases, quite honestly, that's all that you can do is endure it. Elijah was a man we see in verse uh, verse 2 through verse 7 of chapter 17. He gets a revelation from the Lord and he leaves where he was. And he goes out and, and you would think that here's a man who's righteous and holy before God. And certainly he's not going to face any hardship. And the beginning of his story seems to indicate that God is going to take care of him always in miraculous ways. And then the very stream that he's drinking from dries up. He faced a drought just like everybody else did. You might say, well, he prayed for it. You know, I mean, uh, you know, what what do you expect? But wouldn't you think that a a man who's so righteous, who's so holy before God, who's, who's God's messenger, would somehow escape the hardships that everybody else faces? Wouldn't you think that? I mean, that would only make sense. It would only be fair. I mean, that would only be right. Certainly God you know, would, would, would only punish those who really deserve to be punished. I mean, good grief, you can't, you can't imagine that a drought and a famine would affect somebody who's so righteous. And yet it says, the very water he's drinking from dries up and he doesn't know what to do. He waits on another word from the Lord. He faced the same hardship that everyone else faced. He also was insulted. I, I find this fascinating. Look in chapter 18 at verse 17. Israel, obviously, because of three and a half years of no rain, is going through a very, very difficult time. (coughs) In verse 17 of chapter 18, when Ahab saw Elijah, so he goes before the king again, Ahab said to him, Is that you, you destroyer of Israel? The king needed a scapegoat. He needed somebody beside himself to blame for the problems Israel was facing because of his sin. So he looks at Elijah and says, Oh, hey, is that you? Oh, yeah, you're the guy who destroyed the whole country. Way to go. You're the guy 
who's caused all the suffering and all the famine and all the starving people and all the fact that we can't grow any crops. Hey, yeah, come on in. Is that you? He's that guy. He's the scapegoat for the king. The king needed somebody to blame for his problems that he had created. And so he picks Elijah. Elijah obviously had done nothing wrong. But he's used as a scapegoat. He's insulted. And then after he approaches the king and he has this incredible meeting on the, on the mountain with the prophets of Baal, and maybe you know that story. We'll look at it here in just a second. But he's hunted by the queen. And he's forced to run for his life. Look with me in chapter 19. Turn the page there. Jezebel, in verse 2, sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely, if I don't make your life like the one of them by this time tomorrow. Talking about prophets she had already killed. Then Elijah became, what, emboldened? Confident before the Lord? He became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He faced discouragement. After he had been insulted, after he'd faced hardships, he's facing testing and trials, he faces extreme discouragement to the point that he just said, God, it would be better off if you took me from this world. I'm done. You want to be a person of impact. You want to be a person of influence. Yes, you have to stand alone sometimes. And yes, you must choose to please God rather than people. And often because of that, you must expect and endure that hardship, that testing, those trials, the discouragement. Jesus himself even said it in John chapter 16, in this world you will have trouble. It's not going to be a walk in the park all the time. To truly commit to the Lord is really to do life on a different level. The fastballs are a little faster. The curveballs curve a little more when you truly choose to follow the Lord. We can expect those difficult times from people, from Satan or, or both. The story doesn't end there, and I'm thankful that it doesn't. If it ended after I told you, go stand alone and don't try to please people, just please God, there's your pep talk. And if I just gave you the reality check of there are going to be some hardships and there's going to be some testing and you're going to get discouraged from time to time, we'd all probably never want to come back, though you might out of obligation next week because it's Easter, okay? Well, you wouldn't want to come back if I ended the sermon there. And I'm thankful that the story of Elijah doesn't end there. It's because Elijah stood alone. It's because that he chose to please God rather than people. It's because of those hardships that, that God knew he would face, that he needed to receive his courage, his strength, his protection, and his joy from the Lord. And so must we. Because of what I will face, I must receive courage, strength, protection, and joy, not from the things I can see, but from the Lord whom I can't see. I won't take the time this morning to read you the entire story, but if you'd like a good, a good story to read this week about God's power and His greatness and His triumph over evil and get a picture of what it's going to be like when Jesus returns and evil is vanquished for all eternity. Read 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 20 to 40. In this story, Elijah goes up on the mountain and the prophets of Baal are there and they're going to have a little contest. They're going to have a contest between the God of Israel and Baal, this false God. And Elijah stands up and he says, okay, 
you guys, you pray to your God, and I'll pray to my God, and we'll see who shows up today. And eventually he starts making fun of them because nothing happens when they're praying. They keep crying out, and they're doing all sorts of things they can to somehow get their God's attention. And Elijah says, well, hey, shout a little louder. Maybe he's sleeping. You know, just yell just a little bit louder. Or maybe, maybe he's walked away, and it seems to imply that he's walked away to go to the bathroom. Maybe, maybe he's in the bathroom. Yell a little louder. Knock on the door. See if he'll come out. Nothing happens. And so they look to Elijah and he says, pour water on it, on the altar. And then he prays and fire from heaven. God shows up in a miraculous and powerful way. And only does it take the burnt offering there, but it takes all the water, dries up the entire altar, and eventually all those prophets are slaughtered. In those moments, it is there where Elijah receives the courage to stand in front of a group of people who wanted nothing to do with him or his God. He receives the boldness, the strength, to say, not only will God do this, but pour water on it. You watch what he does. Don't look at me, you watch him. He receives God's protection through all of this. And ultimately, he receives joy from the Lord, knowing that, that God is the one who comes through. In John chapter 16, as I quoted a minute ago, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. And the second part of that verse says, but take heart, take courage, because I have overcome the world. There is victory through Jesus Christ. He goes on in the very next chapter, in John chapter 17, to pray not that the disciples and those who would come behind them would be removed from the world, but they'd be protected in the world, that God would watch out for them. In 1 John chapter 4, the Bible says that greater is he who is in us than he who is in in the world, we have the greater power. In Galatians, it talks about not giving up. Because in due time, we'll see the benefit and the fruit of our labor. So I encourage you, in the moments when you face hardship, and they are sure to come, in the moments when you face testing and trials and discouragement, and just because you're a believer in Jesus Christ does not mean that you're immune to all of that. And just because you can fake it real good in front of everybody else doesn't mean that it's not real in your life. When you face those things, you've got a choice to make. You can fall into sin and think that that's going to be a temporary fix for you and some pleasure you might have. You can try all the different psychology techniques you want to try, and they may help you, but they are limited in and of themselves apart from Jesus Christ and His strength and His courage and His joy and His victory being applied to your life in that moment when you desperately need it. Look to Him. Don't give up. Don't quit the game as a sophomore starting on the varsity team just because the fastball was a little harder and the curveball broke a little bit more. Look to the one who knows how to teach you how to make it through all of that stuff. Will you start hitting home runs immediately? I have no idea. <laughs> I didn't. It took me a while. But I got better as a player because I began to be coachable. And in life, if you want to be a person of impact and influence, you open your heart to the Lord and you say, God, you teach me through hardship. And God, when testing comes, you show me what you want me to learn. God, when trials come, help me to endure. And God, you make the joy of the Lord my strength in all of this. The truth is that God has not forgotten you. If you were to do a study on the palms of your hands and you see all the intricate design, let me tell you who created those palms. Let me tell you who Psalms, rather Isaiah says, has you written on the palms of his hands. God loves you enough to create that intricate design. Loves you enough to send Jesus to die for your sins. 
And he's still interested in every single detail of your life, just like those lines on your palms. He loves you. For those who trust him, those who believe in him, he provides courage. He provides strength. He provides protection. He provides joy in the midst of life's hardship and trials. And Elijah's story has a very powerful ending. Flip over to the right just a little bit and we'll close with this. In 2 Kings chapter 2. The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord is sending me on to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? He said, Yes, I know. Be quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here. The Lord is sending me to Jericho. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. And they repeat this scenario. And they go to the Jordan. And and finally, as they continued walking, look at verse 11. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up to heaven in the whirlwind. Elijah's Elijah's story ends in a very powerful way. He's a person who doesn't have to face death. He's just taken up to heaven. We should all be so fortunate, but unfortunately, um, there's only a couple of people that have have experienced that. All of us will, will face death at some point barring the return of of Jesus Christ before we we die. But I really believe that if you see the story of Elijah, and even though it ends maybe seemingly abruptly, you see following him the ministry of Elisha. You see his relationship with this man that he's training and raising up and how he reveres him and the impact that he has, even on this past all the events that we've already looked at. The thing I want to, to leave us with this morning in closing is that like Elijah... I must not quit until God calls me home. I must not quit until God calls me home. Many in this room are in the latter third of life. Many in this room are sort of in that middle third of life. Many in this room, we probably have it spaced out pretty evenly, are in the first third of life. To all of us, young, old, or in between, My prayer is that we'll receive the challenge from this man's life and that we will not quit, not a single one of us. We will not quit until God calls us home. That we'll finish as strong as we can in every aspect of life. That we won't get to a point in life where we begin to go down this way with the Lord, but we crescendo until the very end. As long as God has given us ability... We have our faculties about us. We will finish as strong as we can. From this point forward, no matter what your age, I pray that you'd set out to have a lifetime of ministry for however long that God will allow you to remain on this earth. Not just a season of impact and influence, but a lifetime of impact and influence. We all need people who are helping us to do this. And So not only is this an individual thing, But it's for us as a church to be a place that's contagious about having impact and influence. To be a place that encourages people to live that kind of life. 
that encourages and loves folks, whether they're young, old, or in between, to the point where you say, go, as long as God leaves you here, don't quit until He calls you home. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, obviously, you and I are called to live a life of impact and influence. And every position, every role that you play in life is of great importance. We need teachers and doctors and nurses and students and teammates and factory workers and farmers and accountants and Sunday school teachers and homemakers and athletes and public figures and professionals and whomever else you may be. Ordinary people like us can turn this church and this county on its ear through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because of how great we are, but when we become folks who will be committed to living lives of impact and influence, even if 25% of us in here decided walking away, you know what, I'm going to live that out, we would be shocked at what God can do. So in public and in obscurity, when the lights are on and when nobody is watching, Elijah went before kings and then he went before a poor widow woman. And he lived it in both places. As a believer, I am called to live a life of impact and influence. And that obviously begins with answering the call to faith in Jesus Christ. We talked a lot about pleasing God and pleasing others. The truth is only God can please us completely because only His love can overcome our sin. Only His death satisfies God's wrath against sin. It's only His resurrection that guarantees our eternity. He's the only one that can provide that for us. And so I, I guess I ask you, have you received His love and forgiveness? Do you believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus as the only way for you to receive salvation? And are you sure, absolutely sure of your eternal destiny? If today were it, would you be sure? You say, how can I be sure? The Bible says that those who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. What does that mean? I believe that He is the Son of God. I believe that His death and His resurrection are the only, the only way that I can receive salvation. Not through me just trying harder. Not through hoping the good outweighs the bad. He's the only way. So I must repent of my sin. And I must believe in Jesus Christ. And it's at that moment that I receive eternal life from Him. And I can then fulfill that call to be a person of impact and influence. That I can live a life of grace. That I can be confident of my eternal security. Won't you pray with me as we close? Lord Jesus, make us people of impact and influence. But God, first make us people of Jesus Christ. I pray that those today who need to receive your salvation would recognize their sin, would recognize your payment for that sin, would recognize that you are the only way for salvation, and they would submit their lives to you today. Thank you for the grace that is available. Thank you, Lord, that even though we don't deserve it, that you went to the cross for us. and You paid the penalty for our sins, and you didn't stay dead, you rose again. Provide for us eternal life. God, may we receive it today and may we live it out as a person of impact and influence. Help us, Lord. We pray for your strength and your joy 
and your courage and your protection as we are forced sometimes to stand alone, as we choose today to serve you and to please you rather than people through the hardships and trials we'll face. God, we trust you and we love you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for loving us so much. We know we can only love you because you have first loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name.